What's up, Military Millionaires? I'm your host, David Prey, and today we've got Matt Porcaro on the show, otherwise known as the 203K Way Online, and he struggled for four years to break into the real estate game before stumbling into a little-known product called the FHA 203K Loan, which allowed him to purchase and renovate a duplex for only $9,500 out of pocket. Eight months later, he had... $2,000 a month in cash flow, 130K in equity, which is solid. And now he's helping hundreds of others in, of us, inspiring investors learn how to do the same. And Matt and I have talked a bunch on yeah, Instagram for the years. Yeah. Shoot. Yeah. Probably three years, four years. I don't know. We've been, I've been following him forever. And he posts good content. And it's finally time to get him on the show and hang out. So, Matt, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thanks for the amazing introduction, which I might just soundbite and use for like my walkout on a stage one day <laughs> because you did it with such eloquence. But uh, yeah, man, again, thanks for having me. And again, I guess a long time coming. Surprised we haven't done this sooner, but glad we're here. Finally. I guess that's true. I, yeah, I don't know why we. Know, it's man. been years. Yeah, definitely. Definitely when I got started, I know we were in the same boat in terms of like just being the Instagram real estate guys. Right? <laughs> yeah. There's like old guard of people that were doing it so yeah probably around the same time frame all right when did you buy that first duplex so this was back in 2016 so oh, i bought it in 2016 here in new york long island that was one of the reasons i feel like it took me so long to get started being in the high cost of living market these days i'm sure you see it everyone thinks their market's the most competitive market on earth so I felt that way as well, being in New York, super you high cost right of living. Though. Yeah, I definitely, being in New York, you definitely have the willingness to gripe. I laugh and I understand, but I do laugh at people that are like, my market's insanely competitive. It's been crazy the last couple of years. I'm like, oh, okay, where are you? And they're like, oh, I'm in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm like, all right, that's not competitive. <laughs> I'm not saying it's not competitive compared to what it was. I'm just saying in the grand scheme of things, it's not shark infested waters there. But. Yeah, I live in Springfield, Missouri, and I'm not going to tell you that my market's that competitive. <laughs> okay, yeah. at least you're, yeah, at least you, at least you're honest I mean, about it. There is definitely competition here, but it's sure a whole different, it's just, it's apples and oranges, right? It's a whole different ballgame. 100%. 100%. Sorry, I derailed you there. Yeah, no, but that's good. If you want to, so in terms of, do you want me to go into story or next steps? But I know back in 2016 is when I did it. So you want to jump yeah, into well, next? Okay, so you mentioned you you tried to get into real estate before that. What were you trying to do before you found the FHA, the 203K? And how did you stumble across this thing? Because it wasn't, so for reference, I bought my first duplex probably around the same time, December 28th okay. of 2015. And I used okay. a normal FHA because I was told you can only use the VA loan once, which is wrong, but yeah, uh, whatever. And I had heard about the 203K, but I was basically told it was too complicated. Don't worry about it. Classic. Yeah. But yeah, how's the best way to, to explain this? Really just, I went to school for electrical engineering, did the thing. I don't have to get into the whole background story, but grew up blue collar. Money was always tight growing up and, or in the very least, I knew when my dad was making money. I knew when my dad wasn't making money because it really affected the stress level in the house. My parents were nice to each other or not nice to each other. It was just, it was like the reason for anything good or anything bad, it felt like. And as a young kid growing up, that's super impactful, right? Yeah. So I, from a young age, became almost not obsessed with money, but just obsessed with the idea of 
what is the way to not have this stress? It was like money was the reason for all the stress in my household. And like, how do I avoid that? That was my own thing. What my parents told me was many people do is get a good job, work for a really good company, get a, to my dad, my dad's a general contractor, had his own small business. Very, again, very cyclical with the market, everything like that. Never grew any bigger than maybe doing a couple projects a year, but his whole, like my parents' grass is greener is a paycheck every week. That was, that's what they looked up to. They were like, we wish we could have a paycheck every week. So you go do that. So that's what I did. I went to school. I wasn't a great student by any means, but I was really good at physics and science. So when I went to guide my, guide, again, my guidance counselor in high school, I was like, what do I do that's good with physics that makes a lot of money? They're like engineering. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. I had no interest in it. I had interest in making the money. So that was always my mindset. And I did that. Went through, got by in four years by the skin of my teeth. Engineering's very hard. So I got through, made it out, was able to start working immediately before the recession and into the recession. So shit was crazy, but I was still able to maintain the job. But very quickly being there, realized that this isn't like the game either. Working around yeah. people, realizing that no matter how hard I worked or didn't work, it didn't really make a difference. So it just made me feel like, where am I going to put my, the rest of my time and my energy? So started going into the rabbit hole, finding other ways to make side money. Just look other things. Red Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That's everybody's red pill in this game. Took it was my red pill of, as a kid growing up, blue collar. That book changed my, like, I had no idea about any of this stuff, right? So just put me down the trajectory of trying to make money on my own, have my own business, all that stuff. Real estate investing never really seemed like something that was appli like applicable to me, though, aside from all of it, because to me, owning real estate was only for like old rich guys. I was Robert Kiyosaki's talking about buying multiple houses. I'm like, dude, I'm in New York. How the fuck am I going to buy one house? Everything here is so expensive. There's no way I'm going to buy multiple. So I put it in the back of my head that that real estate is probably the right thing. But at 23 years old, I was like, there's no way I'm going to save 20% down for a, on a $500,000 property here in New York. That's a thousand, a hundred thousand dollars. It just wasn't in the cards. Fast forward, I was trying different strategies and then eventually found out about a little thing called wholesaling from listening to podcasts and stuff and was like, oh man, okay, maybe I could do this with, as they say, no money, no credit, no, no job, no whatever. And I read into a lot of the more guru guys, right? <laughs> Especially back in the day, infomercially type dudes and stuff and tried the things and realized that like, it wasn't as simple as they made it out to be, right? Because they all say that you could do it without money. But the first thing they tell you after the fact is like, hey, you could do it without money, but you just be better be ready to just door knock every day of your life, 24 hours a day. Or you could supplement it with money and you could do direct mail. You can start doing what back then it was really just direct mail and bandit signs, right? I was doing the bandit signs. I was spending as much on direct mail as I could with the disposable income I had for my engineering job. As that's happening, my parents are laughing, saying, what the heck are you doing? My girlfriend at the time, that wife is like, what are you doing? Friends are laughing at me, thinking I'm in some pyramid scheme. It's just, it was like, it was sad. It was it, because for four years, I was trying to crack wholesaling, trying to crack real estate, mm. trying to see. Then I went seller financing. I was like, oh, maybe we could do that. At the end of the day, I was just trying to find ways to get into the market in New York with no money, which seemed very impossible. Okay. Yeah. So this is all just a really long story of the struggle of, I didn't, I was like, okay, I felt like completely defeated. And it wasn't until I went to the local real estate investment association. I'm like, okay, maybe they know what I, what we could do because like they know that real estate in New York is hard. So they should know what direction to go in. And I went to the group and I started joining like their little inner circle. 
it was just more of the same shit. And I'm like, what is the missing link here? What does everybody have that I don't? Like, I just can't crack it. Like wholesaling, I got a couple like leads and stuff, but never was able to crack it. And I'm like, I, so finally there's a lady that led the group and I brought her to the side one day and I'm like, Hey, listen, if you could do this all over again, you're in my position. I don't have much money saved up at the time. I maybe had 10 grand and that was a lot. That was me saving yeah. as much as I possibly could for my job. I'm like, I got 10 grand in the bank, been really struggling to, to find any way to do this. What would you do if you could do it all over again? She was very, res I respected the hell out of her. She had tons of properties, tons of kids. She's just like tons of everything. Just like one of those all-star people. And lo and behold, she was like, there's something if she's, I've never done it, but if I could do it over again, I would buy my first house using something called the FHA 203K loan. I said, okay, what's that? She said, it's an FHA loan, which requires you to only put three and a half percent down on the property. But the 203K version allows you to wrap the renovation costs into your mortgage. So what it allows you to do is it allows you to buy fixer upper properties for only three and a half percent down. None of the renovation money comes out of your pocket. And what you could do is you can make your first primary residence basically like a burr strategy. You could buy something, renovate it, rent, you could rent it out. She's here in New York, basements are popular. So she's just make yourself a little apartment in the basement, rent out the upstairs, house hack it, right? This was my only, this is the first time I ever really heard about house hacking. Live in the downstairs, rent out the upstairs, have it pay for itself, build equity into the property, hold it, tap the equity and go repeat the process. So I was like, wait, hold on, okay, you could do all this for three and a half percent down. She's like, yeah. I'm like, why the hell have I never heard of this before? And she's listen, I don't know too much about it. I just know it exists. I know some people have had good success with it. And that was it. And so my mind was blown because for four years of reading and researching and joining courses and watching videos and all this stuff, I had never heard of the 203K. This was the first time I ever heard about it. Fast forward, I really, it stuck in the back of my head, but I never really took action on it because I went home and Googled it and there was no information about it either little bits and pieces, like you said, like people are like, oh, it's a pain in the ass. You don't want to do it. But like at the end of the day, it just made the most sense for me. And honestly, it was the only thing I could possibly do, right? That three and a half percent was the only crack I had. Like, this is something that I know I can do. Like I tried wholesaling, it didn't work. Tried all these other strategies, didn't work. I have three and a half percent. So let me find a way to make this work. So that's eventually what I did. And then that's how I ended up doing that deal, like you talked about in the beginning of the, in your wonderful intro, <laughs> I was, I was like, still in New York. It was extremely hard to find anything right that even back 2016, it was not any easier than it is now by any means. There was a little more foreclosures on the market, but foreclosures were dealing with banks. And I know, I'm sure you probably know dealing with banks is an absolute nightmare as well. There's only the only thing worse than a tough seller is a bank trying to place offers on these and then getting you by the balls saying you put your earnest money down and you don't get it back if you close all just like all this crazy even if even if due diligence period regardless if you put it down the second you put it down you lose it just like what, all this craziness so lo and behold i placed tons of offers i was looking for anything and that duplex property that i found was literally an absolute crack house but like it was the only thing in new york i could afford the bottom of the barrel, everyone else was running away from it. And I honestly couldn't even afford it based on my pre-approval. My pre-approval at the time was like 280,000, which isn't much in New York at all. And this property was listed for maybe 290. And I'm like, I can't, I said to my lender, I'm like, I can't afford this. This, I, how am I going to renovate it? Like me, even if I get it for 280, how am I going to renovate it? I'm going to have no budget to build into the loan. He's listen, 
The beautiful thing about FHA loans is that they allow you to forecast the future rental income of the other units to your debt to income ratio. So what we can do is you're going to live in this property happened to be a duplex. I, I found this out on accident. It was a good accident. Let's be honest. I'll be honest about that. But he said, you're able to forecast the future rental income. So what you do is you could, let's see what you get pre-approved that if we forecast the future rental income of the other unit. So good thing about being here in New York is everything costs, everything, all costs are high, including rent. So the rent in the other unit was about 2000 a month. They, got, they were able to forecast about 75% of that, which is somewhere in the route neighborhood of 15, 1600. That essentially gave me a $1,600 a month raise on my engineering salary. So that gave me a big boost. And now I was approved for 350. And that gave me just enough money to purchase the property. I picked it up for 270, put 80,000 into it. I was all in on my loan for 350,000. My down payment was 9,500 bucks. And I was able to do the renovation. When all was said and done, I knew in the neighborhood, it would be probably worth in the fours when I was done. It ended up reappraising for 480. So I built 130,000 in equity off of the 9,500 bucks, plus was living for free for the brief time that I was there. Very shortly after I had gotten engaged to my now wife, moved out, and now I still own that property. I rented out for 2,000 a month cash flow. It's a cash cow. It was the reason that it's the foundation. I've went off of it multiple times, and that's been the foundation to my real estate career has been that first 203K property. Love it. It's awesome. And it's crazy. And on, on the record, right? Like wholesaling, seller financing, like all these things you were trying, they all do work. And, oh, 100%. And they even Absolutely. work without money, but just not easy by any means. Right? I think it was all about, and this is something that I found with a real estate teaching guru, whatever you want to call it these days, right? Like the real estate education space. I think it's, I think it's changed. I think it's gotten better. But you still see it. You still, you, you knew, I'm sure we see it all the time. It's still yeah. out there of like setting expectations. I damn near mentioned Ryan Dossie on almost all the podcasts I'm on. Yeah, I was going like, to say. Because he he's a great dude. But one of the things like I, he's real, he says the real thing about what wholesaling is. Yep. You better have a lot of time or a lot of money. Yep. Or, or some combination of both, but yeah. being realistic about like how long it actually takes you to get a deal, okay. being realistic about how much money it's going to cost you to take a deal. If, even if they just told us in the BA, listen, you spend $5,000 on direct mail with nationwide average, that'll probably hopefully land you a deal. Okay. But you got to be prepared to spend more if you can't, yep. or you better be willing to knock on tons of doors or drive for tons of drive for dollars, right? Being realistic about time expectation is the biggest thing with real estate investing. I, while we're on this point, I just want to make this just came up today and I think you'll appreciate this. Okay. So bigger pockets made a post on their Facebook page and they said something like they made mention. One of the things to do is to go direct directly to listing agents. So you can look for properties that have been listed for over 60 days and go directly to the listing agent and then try to make a deal with them directly. You might, you might be able to get a motivated agent that's willing to work on both ends of the deal and, and might up your chances of them doing the business because they're more right. And there's everyone has their opinion on that. And of course, as expected, real estate agents just absolutely shitting on the post, which is typical. Um, listen, yeah, they don't want to do that because that undermines them. Full transparency. I've gone directly to listing agents and have had tremendous success with it. So yeah. I do think it's a good strategy. Yeah, I've done um, it multiple times. A hundred percent. But one of the top comments that had the most likes was this distraught newbie who said, 
I've already done this five times already and it didn't work out for me. And every time they never ended up helping me out. And I'm like, I, I commented, I replied, I, I replied and I said, is five a lot question mark. <laughs> and a couple people liked it, but it just goes to show you like the newbie mentality and like his, his comment got like a ton of likes and it's all like those self-deprecating people that are like, yeah, it's hard out here. But realistically, I'm like, dude, you said you did it five fucking times. Imagine doing anything five times and being good at it. Like, I, so listen to my fifth podcast episode and tell me if I was any dude, good at, at interviewing anybody. A hundred. Go to your 10th. Go yeah. to your 10th. Go, go to your 15th. Yeah. You still I, I don't Let's be listen. honest. Yeah. Man. I, I haven't listened to any of them. I don't want to go. I don't think I've yeah. ever listened to my first 20 episodes, even when I first put them out. Well, that's the thing, man, with making content. Really? I had a guy, one of the guys in my community came over. He's like, man, what books do you have or anything you can recommend? Like, You're so good on camera. I'm like, bro, because you see me doing this, but you didn't see the 11 videos prior where I'm like, fuck, like I did, I did the wrong. I got to start over again. I do have a really good 50 second and then I completely fumble on the last yep. 10 seconds. You're and seeing video 800 motherfucker. Oh, yeah. That's um, why. <laughs> exactly. So that's the whole thing with real estate, man, is listen, the 203K, any strategy you do, I don't care what it is. You just have to set your expectations with what yep. it takes. With the 203K, it allows you to get into a property for way under three and a half percent is a very low amount of equity. Compare it, yeah. compare it to a, a hard money loan or a DSCR loan or something that's looking for you to put down 25%, 30%, a very low equity. Now, that being said, you still want to find a good deal where you get an ROI. You want to build at least 20% equity on the deal. So to do that, you're going to have to place lots of offers. Now, you're going to have a little bit of an edge because you're putting less out of pocket. You're getting a slightly better interest rate than investors are. But I let the people in my community know this is no different either, right? Like you do have to place lots of offers. You maybe just don't have to get as deep of a discount as wholesalers do or flippers do because it's your owner occupant. You have a little you have that working for you. So then you could come up and what I call it is the Goldilocks zone. You're basically above your flippers and wholesalers and you're able to buy. You're able to take those basically higher priced as is properties on the MLS, but you're not competing with the retail buyers who are looking for move and ready or couldn't, couldn't come out of pocket for renovation costs. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so much more margin for error too, as a house hack than any, almost any for the, like house hacking still to this day, my absolute favorite real estate investing strategy, especially oh, dude. a new investor, but it's also the, I think the most forgiving strategy because like people all the time, they're, it's funny. I still see people, they get so hung up on, but what if it doesn't cash flow? And I'm like, dude, it does. Like it, it is so hard to not cash flow a house hack, even if you're paying to live in the damn thing. And people look at me just so bewildered. And I'm like, dude, I can point to you like a $1.5 million fourplex right now in San Diego, where the guy's paying a thousand dollars a month to live out of pocket and he's cash flowing. And they're like, so confused and i'm like because it would cost him twenty five hundred dollars to live anywhere else in that fucking neighborhood yep. so he's saving fifteen hundred dollars that's fifteen hundred bucks net in your pocket every month that you yeah. do not have to use anymore and he's Save paying the mortgage the down so that's the net positive on his net worth is twenty five hundred bucks three thousand bucks so and like, writing off the expenses yeah. and taking the depreciation and learning and how to be a landlord and learning bingo. about everything else Yep. And the long term, even if you just broke completely even, you've got a million point five that's going to appreciate even at even if it only appreciated at like.
3% a year. Oh, yeah. Okay. Wham. Yeah. In 30 years. Whatever. Like, terrible. Come on. Yeah. And again, when you think about what you, what you put in, that 3.5% down, right? It's a perfect example. You mentioned that. I have a guy in my group, this guy, Tim, he bought a triplex up in New York, upstate New York. Big property, high, higher cost of living area, paid eight fifty for the property or eight thirty or something like that. Put one hundred seventy thousand reno into it. He's basically all into it. He was all in for about a million, but still only had to put three and a half percent down. Three and a half percent down of a million is thirty five thousand dollars. Okay, yeah. so for thirty five thousand dollars, he now has a property that is cash flowing him four thousand dollars a month net. So he's making his money back. Talk on cash on cash return. People love to ask me, oh, what's I want? I want a 10% cash on cash return or 15. I'm like, with the 203K loan, your cash on, or house hacking or anything, your cash on cash return is like 500. I think mine was like 600%, right? Because yeah. it was, I got my money back in less than six months. That's unheard of in real estate. But when you leverage these owner occupant loans, like you said, it's hard to lose. Now, the 203K just puts house hacking on steroids, right? Because you basically do the burn method as well. You're basically combining both and then you're reaping the benefits of the equity. So in, in Tim's case, he did his deal. His next door neighbor has twice offered him a cash offer of 1.3 million. He wanted to buy it from him. So he's all in for a mill. He's at 1.3. He's not even fully complete. He's going he's gonna to Airbnb one of the units. He's not even, he's like still doing bells and whistles on it. And this guy is still, it keeps offering him 1.3 cash and he's all in for a mil. So he's already got 300,000 on top of it. Again, this is all off of $35,000, which to some people listening might seem like a lot of money, but again, economy is a scale, right? The same could be said on I 9,500 down payment, turned it into a hundred thousand, 150. Just go tell him to make sure he does it as either a lease option or a seller carry until he's at 367 days. Oh yeah. yeah, no, it's yes. It's that, that long-term cap gains. It's a good point. Yep. Sell it. That's a good point. Yep. Yeah. All about manipulating that game. We bought a hotel sure where we negotiated a little bit off the purchase price because the guy wanted, he wanted long-term capital gains. And we were like, yeah, man, we're totally cool with that. We'll give you a we <laughs> crazy. We on Friday negotiated the contract and cut him a check for a hundred grand and handed it to him on Monday. And we were like, yeah, lease option but we won't close officially for four months, but we want X amount off the purchase price right. in order to allow you to, it still came out as a pretty substantial net positive for him to hold it oh, yeah. the extra three months or whatever yeah. for the long-term capital gains, but we actually got a lower purchase price for it. Incredible. So, fun. Yeah, it, listen, it's all about gaming the system. I just talked about it the other day and I am by no means... All accountants have to say, or people have to say, this is not tax advice. This isn't tax advice because I don't know shit about taxes. That's the reason I pay my account. Like, I'm not going to pretend to know. But the one interesting stat about it that I heard was, let's call the IRS, and I'm, the numbers I'm going to get wrong, but the scale I'm going to get. The tax code, the IRS tax code, is, let's call it 10,000 pages, okay? Yeah. About 50 of those pages are dedicated to W-2-incomed employees, okay? Yeah. A infinitesimal fraction of the tax code is built for that. Yep. What's the rest of the tax code for? The rest of the tax code is for business owners, billionaires, millionaires, assets, stock owners, businesses, all, like all that stuff, right? Yep. Who built the tax code? Rich people. 
What are they going to do? They're going to build it for rich people. That's why I love politics when they get into, you should pay your fair shares or you should do this with taxes or this with taxes. And it's, you built the shit. Yep. You built it. Don't blame anybody else but yourself. You're trying to incentivize growth. That's it. And that's, and that's it too, right? Like at the end of the day, that's the true reason why that is there. But again, like in terms of the, in terms of the nitty gritty on, oh, there's loopholes. Yeah, there's loopholes. Take advantage of them. It's like that, it's like that, uh, that stupid meme that was going around or probably still goes around all the time where Elizabeth Warren's pay your fair share. And then it's the screenshot of Musk retweeting it with the, I paid the most taxes of any American ever in the history of the US this year. Right. Shut up. Yeah, listen, like, yeah, people like it, to see, yeah, yeah that the corporation is like, didn't pay it directly, but you know, it's, but if you look at it from like a statistical like percentage, he's still not right. even close to what a W2 Biden Bingo. Is. Yeah. Cause they know what, you know, anyway, yeah, we could go on and on about the tax thing. There's so many <laughs> yeah, factors, right? Even yeah, into cost that's the eggs point. and that's stuff. the point, right? That's the point we're trying to make is Dude, like, there's more crazy. to it. So just getting that house hack, getting that first deal just opens you up to this whole other world of the tax code, of passive income, of being a landlord, of all these things, being a business owner, right? It's just, that's why that first one is so important. That's always what I preach to people. I always say the first deal won't change your life, but it will change your life. And what I mean by that is it's not going to change your life in the like, you're not going to buy your first deal and be sipping my ties in Miami and just working on your laptop, right? Like that whole thing of like passive income <laughs> is like not real, real either. So yeah, it's not passive, right? Mm-hmm. But does it give you the financial freedom to do what you want when you want? Yes. Yeah. But it won't change your life in the first. But what it's going to do is it's that first deal is going to open your mind and open the doors to whatever else is possible, right? Yeah. You ever uh, you see much or do much or dabble much with the VA? renovation ones? So it's a great question. Still a very lead product. It is. And so I am very well connected with renovation lenders, 203K consultants who also usually act as the draw consultant and specialist on VA loans. As far as I know, it is the same process. Tim, who I mentioned, actually is a former Marine. So he's using, he never used his VA loan yet. So he's in the process of, he actually, since getting that New York deal, He's he moved down to Florida. He retired his FDNY job and he moved down to Florida. So he never really moved into the property. Life change. Life change is a thing where you have the excuse to to get out. So he did move down to Florida and he's in the process of doing buying his next property in Florida with his VA loan. And he's going to be using a VA renovation. It is the same process all across the board. It really is. There's a couple minute limitations here and there depending on equity, a couple things like that. But as far as the process goes, the process is all the same. And I can sure get into that and help people with that because that's what I do. But at the end of the day, yeah, just another insanely powerful, people complain about three and a half percent down and it's okay. You take that out of it. It's okay. This is just infinitesimal now what? <laughs> home run. Yeah. I mean, we talk about cash on cash return. Now it's infinity. So that's a pretty good cash on cash return. It's crazy. Yeah, I know people, I hear people gripe about, oh, it's a complicated, I'm like, dude, who cares? Yeah, yeah so there's some it headaches, there's some things you gotta, some hoops you gotta jump through, whatever. Yeah. Here's the thing, right? We just talked about, again, like the trade-off, right? So think about this for a second. Now you're a real estate investor at heart, right? So you know and understand doing deals and hard money and equity and deals and stuff like that. 
when you think about what the 203k does and now va as well right same thing okay which just makes it even more egregious in my opinion but basically what it is the government is willing to back you on a loan okay where in exchange for three and a half percent of the total amount of the purchase price of a home multifamily property plus all the money needed plus 10 percent contingency reserve they're giving you all the money you need to fully renovate the rehab, renovate the property, plus all the money to buy the property. All they're looking for in return is three and a half percent of that total and two years of income and a credit score above 600, which will be honest, if you're under 600, you have bigger fucking problems. Yeah. Okay. People like to tell me, they're like, what do I do if my credit's under 600? How do I do a 203K? I'm like, you don't. You fix your fucking credit and then you worry about real estate. Okay. Because so you got to really, you got to try hard to fuck your credit up, I think, beyond that. Now, listen, I'm not saying it for a pedestal. My credit's been <laughs> fucked up before, but it's because I did stupid shit, right? And because of because of loans and like being yeah. a business owner and stuff like that. Yeah, but it happens. if it's down that low, my first focus is getting it back up, whatever yeah. I need to do. The point I'm making, though, is like when you look at the return on it, what they give you versus for what return you're able to get, it's insane, right? So... Is it really that crazy for the bank to be asking for a clear scope of work from your contractor on what needs to be done? Is it really crazy that they want your contractor to be licensed and insured? No. Is it crazy that they want you to fill out paperwork, making sure that the contractor is able to do the work, that you're able to do the work, that there's no commingling as part of the process? The entire paperwork trail of the 203K loans, about 10 extra pieces of paper. It's really not much. The problem is you have a lot of lazy real estate agents and a lot of lazy lenders that they look at it and they just want the low hanging fruit. So yep. in your situation, they steered you away from it. Not because it's not because it's bullshit. It's bullshit for them. And it's something that they don't want to do. Yep. So the reality is that when you do this process is something that you want to do. The best biggest piece of advice I give to everybody in the VA, it's the same for the VA. VA rental loan. Yep. There are lenders out there. I know good damn near all of them. It's a very small group, but there's one everywhere all across the United States. You can get one for any area that specialize in renovation lending. Yep. This is what they do. They do it day in, day out. They're happy to do it. This is their niche and they know what you need to do. And actually when you work with the right ones, you realize it's actually really not that bad. Again, it's teaching you good practice. Okay. I'm in, my background's in construction. I grew up in that business. I worked in construction when I high level construction in my engineering job. So it's funny because as I was going through the 203K, I was like, this is how every construction project yep. ha is handled, right? Yep. Clear scope of work, draw schedule in how you get paid, inspections on the project. Like this is not, we're not asking for anything crazy, but the problem is most people treat their home renovation like a hobby or they just don't know what they're getting into or they pick the cheapest contractor who works out of the back of his truck. And then when it blows up in their face, they're curious as to why. The bank's trying to protect you from this happening. They don't want it. They don't want you to work with Joe Blow that got recommended by your grandma who does, who replaced her window 10 years ago. And now you want him to do an $80,000 gut reno. Yeah, he might be cheap and he might come really highly recommended from your grandma, but he's just not the guy for the job. The, the and VA the doesn't point. want you, the VA doesn't want to back a DIY submarine. <laughs> we knew we were going to get a sub joke in there, right? 
Yeah, man, we don't listen. They don't want to, We don't want to build your house with a GameCube controller. <laughs> all right. We want to use like something a little nicer, like a PS5 controller that we're right. trying to we're big time here. We're big time. No GameCube controllers. Oh, man. Yeah, it's funny because you, you say all that. It's so true. Yeah, there's just lenders who that's what they do. And it's a product. It works. And if somebody doesn't want to mess with it, they don't want to mess with it. It's the same as like new builds, right? Like the VA loan does new builds. They do ground up construction. They do the one-time close. They yeah, do all awesome. kinds of cool stuff. Yeah. And I was at a conference, the loan guarantee conference that the VA themselves host in, they do it different location every year. It was in Kansas City two months ago. So they, it's been a point of contention the last year or two, not really, but people have said you can't build barn dominiums. And uh, there's a lender that I know who has built quite a few with them. And yeah. so she just straight up old face asked the chief appraiser for the VA, hey, people keep asking back and forth, blah, blah, blah. What is your opinion? Barn dominiums. Yay, nay, one time close. And he was like, do you live in it? It's a house. Ta-da. There you go. All you need is like some kind of a comp in the area that shows that your market support it as a house, whatever. And like people just overthink it. Some of this. People forget too, and this is a key point. I think I'm glad you mentioned this is remember at VA loans, VA loans, FHA loan, 203K loan. All these loans, the, these loans are built off of guidelines provided by the government. Remember, the government doesn't actually do the lending, okay? They yep. give the guidelines and the incentives to have banks do the lending. The incentive is the, I don't know what it is on the VA side, maybe just that the country owes you guys a lot more than it gives you. So whatever they do on that side is what it is. Obviously on the 203, on the FHA side, it's mortgage insurance, right? So if you're putting lower down payments, you're all paying mortgage insurance and all everybody's mortgage to be part of the FHA subprime borrower club, everyone pays mortgage insurance every month. That all goes into a big bucket and that government controls that bucket. And anytime any, the, the incentive for the bank is they know they're protected because if this subprime borrower defaults, they can go dip into the bucket to take their money to get their share of the deal back so they know they're protected, right? The government just creates the guidelines. But at the end of the day, it's up to the bank. What I tell people is, listen, there's the baseline guidelines, but a lot of banks have overlays. A lot of banks have, we don't do this or we don't do that. And what happens a lot and what's really frustrating and what's one of the biggest things that I try to combat is like, you get, again, to my point, like earlier, you get lenders that like want to just steer you away from it. Or their lenders, like they have a ton of overlays that they add to their FHA loan or to their 203k loan. Again, I don't know if they do this with VAs, but they're like, they tack on an extra half a point of interest. They put in a bunch of extra junk fees. They have different requirements on contingency funds, on your contractor, on certain things. These are just overlays that the bank puts on because they want to make it, they want to protect themselves. But at the end of the day, you want to look for banks and lenders that don't have any overlays over the foundational guidelines that are there, right? So in your case, like FA, the VA, I guess specifically, don't, doesn't really give a shit what you build, but you might run into banks that are like, they have a problem with that type of build, right? That a lot with 203Ks with the way like there's one like one one guideline is like that you can't really have detached properties but there is you can build like a breezeway and that accounts as attached and it comes down to the underwriter if that's good enough for them or not you could always go to another bank who's oh, oh yeah breezeway is fine so there's those little nuanced things always to remember so a good lesson here is just to 
you get pushback on a barn dominium, well, there's nothing in the VA guidelines, I guess, that says no barn dominiums. So just go to a different bank. You might find a different bank is willing to do it for you. Yeah, that's what I always tell people. If your lender tells you no, ask them to show you or just ask them, is that in the VA guidelines or show me where that is in the VA guidelines or is, 100%. That, an, is that an overlay? Yep. Is, yep. Yeah. Or just go talk to a vetted VA lender or me and I'll introduce you to a vetted VA lender because they're the best. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Same here. Yeah, yeah. All right. What are some... I won't say lesser known strategies or tips, but like, mm. what do you think are some, just like two or three of your like most common things that people get hung up on with the 203k? What do you wish, what are your like biggest, man, I wish I'd known that. Yep. hundred percent. Top three, I'll give them to you. Number one, we've already talked a lot about, and that's just working with the right lenders. And I'm sure the same shit could be said on the VA side. Oh, yeah. Lender can make or break the deal. And again, it goes with the whole team. And here's the thing that I, I always want to say to people. And with building your team, it's not always necessarily that the people can or can't do it. It's just, are they the best one for the job? Okay. And in addition to that, are they just, we want to be clear about this all the time while it is a loan officer and an agent, real estate agent's fiduciary duty to represent you in the best course of your best interest. In reality, these guys make commission. No, they get commission when they close, right? A big thing with 203Ks and stuff like that is you'll see even people that are pretending to be there and working in your best interest are really going to gaslight you into doing things that you shouldn't do, aka overpay for the property accept a loan with too high of, with too high of overlays, all kinds of stuff like that. So first and foremost, just working with a lender that knows the game. Okay. They've done it. They've, they do it often. They can prove it. And that's the first part. Okay. The second one where I see a lot of people mess up on the 203k is related to contractors, obviously. And it's in a couple different ways. Number one, they either just work with the only contractor they know, or they work with someone that was recommended again by their grandma or their uncle or something like that, but they don't really vet them out. And they realize that they, or they go with their uncle's friend's brother because they gave them the cheapest price. Okay. At the end of the day, there's no such thing as saving money on a renovation. There's just not, you can't cut costs on a reno. Newbies still to this day always want to contest all of the veterans on this. They always think that they are the chosen ones that are going to be able to do this for half the price. It's just not true. I'm in real, I'm in, I grew up in the business. Okay. Could I bid my jobs and say that I could I do it for a price very cheap? Yes. Do I want to do that and give myself the anxiety? And then when any issue I run into, I'm in the, I'm in the red. No. So the big thing is to make sure you work, you not only, work with contractors that are, are, the, are trustworthy and the right people for the job, but don't try to cheap out on the reno. It's just always going to blow up in your face. One of the best ways to do this is once you get into contract on the property with a 203k loan, there's someone on the 203k loan called a 203k consultant. 203k consultant is basically a home inspector who also adds this, ver this 203k feather in their hat. The 203k consultants, they're, they get approved by the HUD. But what they do is they help you create your scope of work based on what needs to be done per code, per the FHA guidelines. And then they also will help you build your scope of work based on whatever you want to do. 
Now, a big issue with 203K consultants is you get a lot of 203K consultants that are also very inexperienced, like anything else, right? You're going to get shitty lenders. You're going to get shitty 203K consultants. A huge red flag is when they ask you for your contractor's estimate for them to build their scope of work. It happens in the opposite. You need to build the scope of work with your 203K consultant first. If they are unable to do that, you need a new 203K consultant. Yeah. Your 203K consultant should be a, just as good of a home inspector as they can be being a cost estimator. Now, they don't need to be on the ball. Like, they don't need to be, like, right there. But they're going to be somewhere within 10 to 20%, giving you at least a rough order of magnitude of what the renovation is going to cost. Now, what happens is you build out the scope of work. Now, what they do is they're going to hand you something. They're going to hand you, it's called an SOR, schedule of repairs. The second thing that they can hand you is something called a bid on repairs. And basically what that is, that scope of work, just with the labor and materials blanked out. So now you have a baseline of knowing what roughly the project should cost. But now you have this other worksheet that you can now hand all of your contractors. You should get three to five bids on every project. I have guys I've worked with for years on the contracting side, guys that my dad has worked with for 15 years. I will still get competing bids. You always got to keep your contractors honest, even if you have longstanding relationships with them. And nine times out of 10, my guys will be the number. But you're going to get every now and again, you're going to see something where you have to check them out on, but you're only going to get it if you do that. But the great thing about this, this strategy that I'm saying, you get the bit, you get the bid on repairs, you give it to the contractors. It's easier for them. They don't have to guess. You don't have to walk them through. The scope is right there. Clear as day. It's all written out. There's 700 square foot of flooring in this room, you know, this many yards of, of concrete, like it's just there. It's all built there. So they could just write in their labor and material. Then you get all the bids back. Then what you could do is level the bid. Okay. And this is a contractor term, but basically what it is comparing apples to apples. So you could see for your kitchen, exactly what every contractor is bidding. You could see for flooring, what they're bidding. You could see for HVAC, what they're bidding. Right. So now what that also enables you to do is it allows you to get them down. If there was a guy that you really liked that's a little high, you could say, hey, listen, I really want to use you. Your kitchen number is just really high. Can you come down? Can you meet me at 50 grand? Or just throwing a number out there. Can you meet me at 50 grand for the two kitchens instead of 65? And they'll be like, yeah, I could do it for 65. And that's going to save you 15 grand right there. All right. That's number two. Number three is just like not settling for just like any old property. And what I mean by that is I think in this day and age, people have been in a, in this world where they feel like they need to offer asking on everything. And they feel like they look at the asking price and if they can't afford it at the asking price, they don't even look at it. Yeah. You need to don't focus on asking prices in your market. Focus on comp sales in the area. See what things are actually selling for what that top end is, what things have actually sold for in the last six months. Take that price per square, that average price per square foot, take that, take that comp, whatever, and build your offer based off of comps. Don't look at the asking price. Pretend it's not even there because at the end of the day, you can ask whatever price you want, but everything comes down to value. And if the comps don't support it, I could ask $2 million for this property. It doesn't, the value of it is what a buyer is willing to pay. Yep. You can ruffle as many feathers as you want, but just Run your numbers based on asking on, on, on ARV. That's it. Avoid asking prices and just place your offers based on that and just keep doing that and look for that 20% equity minimum. 
Because if you get that 20% equity minimum, that opens a lot of doors for you. You can refi, you could do a cash out, you could pull out 10% or even 100% of equity, depending on the banks you work with. But it just gives you so much more meat on the bone that you wouldn't get if you were just, just going for the asking. The whole point of this is not to pay retail. That's the 203K way. It's not to pay retail. Yeah. No, I love it. And man, that's, those are, those are all great tips. I really like the detail you went into on the contractor side. And I agree completely. They always joke with contractors. You get, you got three things, right? The speed, the price, you get either fast, you get affordable or you get quality yep. and you can pick can't two have all of three. three. And so your comment about you can't get, a, you're not going to get cheaper. Is, no, you're not going to get cheap and fast. Yeah. You're not going to get cheap and fast and get quality work. No. Because if you get, yeah, if you get fast, it's going to be expensive. If you get cheap, it's going to be slow. So it's going to cost just as freaking much. Yep. And if you get, if you were to magically get cheap and fast, then it's going to be terrible quality and it's going to cost you longer or more in the long run. So there's price versus cost, right? I learned this in like my 11th grade economics class. And it was one of the only things I probably learned from that class, but it was like, there's price versus cost, opportunity cost, right? So there's the idea of the price you pay is not what it costs you over the long term, right? If you get, it's, if you get pulled in by a low price, as everyone continues to do, again, everybody listening, everyone's going to say, I'll never do it. But then when you see that low price and you locked up your deal, as I said before, that's why the deal is so important. You locked up your deal way too high. Because you're a noob and you don't know what you're doing and you thought that you had to offer more than you did and you locked it up way too high. And now you're trying to save on the reno. And then you get forced into going for the cheap guy. And I guarantee you, I would bet all the money in my savings account and all my, all my, all my security accounts that your cheapest contractor that you feel I like could do the job for 40% lower than the other guys, I guarantee it will blow up in your face. It's not even that you'll get like one out of, you know, that you'll get lucky one out of every 10 times. Like I would do, I would be suffice to say that one out of every 10,000 times, would you actually get a contractor to do something for half price and do it the right way? It's just, again, the, the numbers are the number, like you can't like material costs, what material costs, yeah. like labor is what labor is. There's no, there's no way around it. And that's where people mess up a lot I of agree. times. I agree completely. I agree completely. Matt, what have we, what have we not talked about that we should? Man, oh man. I think we did, I think we covered a lot of usually the biggest things I like to tell people. I think in terms of maybe your audience on the VA side, I, I, I do get a lot of, I've worked with a bunch of people that are former military, right? And I think it puts you in such a great position, right? Because here's the thing. People ask me this all the time, right? How many times can you do the 203K loan, right? And I'm sure people ask you, how many times can you use the VA loan? Probably the most question I get asked, you get asked. And the whole point is whether you could do it once or a thousand times, who gives a shit? Do it, take advantage of it once, right? So if you were in a position where you could do both the VA and the 203K, holy shit, take advantage of both. Now, whether you, you don't have to repeat them. In many cases, I teach people not to. Again, there's nobody on the planet that really loves two or three Ks more than I do. But at the same time, I know that they're slow compared to hard money, right? Like I, if I wanted to buy a flip tomorrow, I could call up one of my private money lenders and get wired by the end of the week. Whereas I don't care what you do, any doc loan 
like a VA loan or an FHA loan or 203k loan, it's going to take you minimum 30 days to close, right? So it's just not as fast. And the, while as the low equity is the low amount of equity is nice, the low out of pocket is nice. Speed of money is the most important thing. But I think to round all of this out, it's just whether you could do it once or you could do it a thousand times, take advantage. If you, if you already own your own home and you don't really plan on moving, get your brother to do one, get your aunt to do one, get your kids to do one. You know what I yep. mean? Take advantage of the thing that's out there. It's there for the taking. It's such a, it, it, you, we talked about how insane the returns are, and are, are on these things. Get it under your belt. You're not living here forever. That was never my intention and never was anyone's intention. Get it, live the year out, whatever it is, and then reap the benefits long-term. It's going to, like you said, with appreciation over the course of 30 years, if it appreciates at 2% a year, your, your ROI on that is insane. Yeah. No, they're solid for sure. And then where can people get a hold of you? So Instagram really have at the 203 K way. Yeah. That's where this all started. Honestly, like I was got a great just, platform. Yeah, man. I was the only creative thing I ever thought of in my life. I was sitting <laughs> with my wife and I was like, cause I was always answering questions about this on bigger pockets. And I was like, the only person really, and the sad thing, listen, I love bigger pockets for what it is, but the bad thing about it is you have a lot of people on there that don't know what they're talking about. And they, but they pretend that they do. And there are people that are telling people to do things with 203Ks. And I'm just like, how many 203Ks have you done? And they're like, it's my uncle's aunt said that they had this issue on. The, and it's like, nobody speaks from experience anymore. Everyone just speaks about what they read somewhere else on another forum post. Yeah. And then they feel like they're experts about it. So I knew that there was a need to answer the questions. So I was answering you know, the like same submarines? questions over. Yeah, no, exactly. Like quite honestly, like submarines, right? I think he just got his plans on, I don't know, <laughs> eBay. So really it's, I talk to my wife and I'm like, I think people need to hear about this. Do you think if I created an Instagram account, people would want to hear about it? She's like, yeah, try it. I'm like, think around. It came to me almost a couple minutes after I was like the 203K way. Cause that was the way I got into real estate investing. You think that's catchy? Like, yeah, go for it. So like literally that minute, the 203K way started making posts and it blew up. So anyway, well, that's a long answer to your question, but that's how this thing all came about because people are usually curious about it. But I just knew that I, there were so many people asking questions about this and people keep answering, continue to answer the wrong question. Again, people that should know, agents, real estate agents, lenders, like they should know the answers. They still are perpetuating the wrong things. Again, I'm sure they do the same shit with the VA, right? Yeah. And it's just like getting that, I wanted to get the thing right. So my Instagram is a place to find me. I have a Facebook group. I just joined yours. You could join mine. Trade. We could trade. We could, we could swing our Facebook groups. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and really just my Facebook group is a great place. I do weekly trainings. I'm actually about to do one here in a couple minutes. Weekly trainings just to help people out with this process. Really just the whole point is just to scream from the mountaintops, have the right information available to people so they can take advantage. That's awesome. Yeah, I love it. I love it. And yeah, I've been following your Instagram for a minute. So it's, it's got a lot of good stuff on it for sure. Likewise, you're more TikTok famous than me though. Oh yeah. Like it's never going to grow again. It seems, I don't know, man, I hit 99 K and TikTok was like, that's enough. That's yeah. The engagement. In, yeah. Their whole, yeah. Their whole follower push slowed up a little bit, but it's all about the content, man. At the end of the day, yeah. there's a lot of bullshit out there. So, yeah. But Sounds listen, good. man, well, thank you for inviting me and thanks for doing this. Sure thing. Good deal. And uh, speaking of contractors, I got to run to Lowe's and go buy a bunch of material with one in a few minutes. Passive income, man. This is passive <laughs> income. This is the dream. This is, I'm actually, I'm borrowing a contractor crew from a friend. So 
We'll, we'll take good care of him, man. Re- yeah. Return him in one piece. Yeah, I'm excited. They're, if they're <laughs> half as good as he says, it's going to be a good show. So I'm excited. Awesome. Yeah. Good stuff, dude. Yes, sir. But I appreciate you. Thank it's been you. Fun. Appreciate you. got to do this. Yes, sir. Likewise. Have a great afternoon. You too, man.